Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I think we all need to have a friend that just comes into our lives and changes it for the better. I hope you can think of a friend like that this morning. Obviously, for me, my wife would be a friend like that to me. Uh, But I have another friend who, no lie, even when I barely knew him yet, he weaseled his way into being one of the most trusted people in my life. Um, As a child and as a youth pastor, summer camps, they've always been a, a major part of my life in the summer. And about 15 years ago, I was serving as a recreation director for our Bible camp. Um... Uh, for the first of, it ended up being about 10 years that I wound up doing this. And at the end of the week, I always, part of my job was I had to go up on the stage in front of this camp full of kids and in some high energy, fun kind of way, I needed to tell them which of six color teams had won the recreation points championship for the week. Uh, so before I go into this auditorium, my first week of doing this, uh, I'm standing outside talking to this relatively new friend of mine, Ben. And Ben and I had, we'd, I think we'd only met that week at camp, didn't really know each other super well at that point, uh, but something about, like, there was a connection there. I think we, we kind of had some chemistry. And so he asks me, uh, so Kellen, you got a plan, uh, what you're going to do when you go up there and tell everybody the scores? And I didn't really have a plan. I, I probably said something like, oh, not really, I'm, I'm probably just going to go up there and get really loud and, and be obnoxious and see where it goes. Well, this dude had a plan. Uh, he proceeds to tell me, so, so here's what we got to do. Let's go in there and you be my dummy and sit on my lap and just mouth everything that I say. Like, what? You're kidding me, right? Well, he wasn't kidding me. Uh, and for some reason, he sold me on the idea. And I mean, okay, let's be honest. This is going to be funny, right? So we grab this strong friend of mine. His name is Dan. And we tell him to put me on his shoulders and carry me into the, to the auditorium. And so he carries me in there and I go as limp as I possibly can go. And then he sits me on Ben's lap on the stage and I just played a dummy. I made stupid faces, tried to match my, my mouth with the words that Ben was saying. And I just trusted him. I went along with it. See how it played out. Not going to lie. It was kind of hilarious. Uh, ben and I, we worked together at the camp for like the next... 10 years, did a ton of funny stuff up on a stage together, Uh, but I'm not sure that anything topped that moment. It was a moment of pure genius. And I don't know why I trusted him enough for him to kind of put myself in that vulnerable position, but I did. And I'm glad I did to this day. He's probably the best friend that I have outside of my wife. Now, trust and friendship usually take time to form between two people. It's rare where it happens all of a sudden, kind of like it happened with Ben and myself, but there's a story in the Bible where a deep kind of friendship seemed to just kind of take place all in a moment. But being honest, it's not really an isolated incident. There is a special friendship that can spring up in a hurry, and really it's part of this, the the best good news ever that we've been talking about at Central during this series that we're in. It's a unique friendship, and it seems to happen way quicker than most other friendships happen. And what is it that would make you trust someone so immediately that if they said, follow me, you'd actually follow? Or if they said, be my dummy, that you'd actually be dumb enough to become their dummy? Let me take you to a story in the book of Matthew where one guy says, follow me, and the other guy actually does it. 
Okay, this is Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. It says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, if you've ever read this story before, doesn't it kind of amaze you? Has anyone ever listened to you the way that Matthew listened to Jesus? Literally, not one of my kids has ever followed me when I've asked them to follow me. They run away. They go and latch on to their mother instead. Like, they follow their mom, and she doesn't even ask him to follow her. Like, it's super annoying. So it's also mind-blowing to see exactly what Matthew does in this story. What Matthew does here is he shows us some of what it takes to actually follow Jesus the way that we're meant to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, you'll need to cancel your life. Now, that sounds a bit scary, I know. Uh, but it's only scary if you think that your version of your life is better than Jesus' version of your life. Why don't my kids follow me when I ask them to? It's because they actually think that their version of their day is better than my version of their day. And they might be right. Uh, but we hold on to our version of our lives because we really think that it's better than what Jesus has in mind for us. Think about Matthew in this story. Matthew left everything that he had, everything he had known, his livelihood, he left it in the middle of the workday. But it wasn't just a job that he was leaving. He was leaving a lifestyle altogether. This dude was in a job that was disrespected by everybody. But he also made a lot of money. As a tax collector, Matthew was a collaborator with the common enemy to your average, everyday Jewish person. So what did that mean? It meant that he didn't have many friends. But he also had a lot of wealth. He essentially financed his way to a life of pleasure. Now, that's not an easy thing to walk away from. You think about it. He walks away from that job as a tax collector. Now what does he have? He's got no friends. And now he's being asked to give up the one thing that he actually does have, which is money and a little bit of power over people. Now, that's a tough ask. People don't often walk away from that kind of stuff. But that's what I love about this, this story. I love about Jesus in this story. He wasn't afraid to call him. And Matthew was willing to actually cancel the version of his life that he'd always known and that he'd grown accustomed to, all to follow after a version of life that Jesus was calling him to. That's probably a scary thing to think about right now if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to think about having to cancel what you know to be true for your life in order to adopt this life that Jesus says is true. Like That's a far out thing. But it really shouldn't be any less daunting of, the, of a thought for those of us who already do follow Jesus, have you really canceled the life that you knew before Jesus made a complete change in you? Have you made a complete 180? And really, maybe it's not even about a complete 180 once you met Jesus. Maybe it's just certain parts of your life that needed to change in direction. But have you opened up every area of your life to Jesus? Have you allowed him to cancel any area that doesn't line up with what his call to follow him is? Have your assumptions about life before Jesus been laid down so that Jesus has the freedom to reorder what you always thought that you knew? 
Now see, Matthew literally dropped everything to follow Jesus. He dropped his livelihood. He took up new friends. He left his family probably. Like, I'm pretty sure that his worldview was probably beaten down and then built back up again. How much has your life actually changed since you met Jesus? Have you held on to beliefs and not let go of certain ways of thinking? Now, there are Christians who bring their preconceived beliefs into their Christianity rather than bringing their Christianity into their preconceived beliefs. We think a lot of things about life that are contrary to a Christ-centered way of thinking because we haven't always let Jesus change our thinking. We haven't canceled everything to let him rebuild our way of thinking in his image. And for the record, I think this goes so far beyond the idea of, you know, do you think liberally or conservatively or something like that? Like, to be honest, if you were conservative before you met Jesus, you probably should have some thoughts that are more liberal now. And if you were a liberal before you met Jesus, you probably should have some thoughts that seem a little more conservative now that you met Jesus. Simply put, Jesus, he doesn't fit perfectly into one political system or one way of thinking. He's so much deeper than what we box ourselves into being at times. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a Christian pastor in Germany uh, during the Jewish Holocaust. And he was a guy who was willing to literally cancel his whole life in order to, to follow Jesus. So willing, in fact, that he ended, up be, he ended up being killed in a concentration camp near the end of World War II. Now, Eric Metaxas, he writes this about him in, in a, an incredible biography that he wrote. He says, Bonhoeffer advocated a Christianity that seemed too worldly for traditional Lutheran conservatives and too pietistic for theological liberals. He was too much something for everyone, so both sides misunderstood and criticized him. Now, if you really take the plunge and you follow Jesus, that description is probably going to sound a lot more like your life. You're going to seem like you follow the rules too much to some people and not enough to other people. You'll be too gracious for some and maybe not enough for other people. And it's all because you won't be living to please others. You're going to be living to follow Jesus. It'll change how you interact with the world. And honestly, that can be scary. But while it's scary, it's also better. You look at the life of Matthew, that the life that he had before Jesus. He had money and no friends. Nothing truly good to look forward to at all. For him, the change is worth it, and it always is worth it. Question is, have you changed? Have you canceled what you thought was right and real and allowed Jesus to transform it all? Your life should hold this new reality now that Jesus, now that he's entered the picture of your life. Like, that's the kind of change that took place in Matthew once he decided to follow Jesus. Um, we're shown something else here, I think, about the followers of Jesus, what they did in this story, okay? To follow Jesus, you're also going to need to come to the table. Now, I think this idea, I'll be, I'll be honest, this is a little bit more of an abstract idea here, okay? What does it mean to come to the table? What does the table represent? I want to read this again, Matthew 9, verses 10 and 11. It says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the table that we're talking about, it's actually sort of a mindset or an idea. As Matthew and these other tax collectors sat down at the table to eat with Jesus, what did that table represent? It represented friendship and fellowship with Jesus. 
But where we really see what the table meant is when we look at what it meant through the eyes of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, man, they viewed eating with somebody as approving of them. And so to them, Matthew and his friends, they would have been the disapproved segment of the population. And either because they didn't adhere to the Pharisaic food laws or because they failed to tithe according to the standard of the law or possibly both, like they just didn't like these guys. So in failing to come to the table, the Pharisees, they weren't just sitting in judgment over the tax collectors. They had always been in judgment over the tax collectors. Now they were actually ticked at Jesus because he was eating with them, which was a sign of approval, according to the Pharisees. By not coming to the table, the Pharisees were failing to follow Jesus. They were actually judging Jesus. See, coming to the table is an idea. And the idea is this. I'm willing to eat with you. I'm willing to see myself at your level. I approve of you because Jesus approves of you. Coming to the table, it's all about humility. How might you be guilty of not coming to the table? How have you judged people around you to the point that you really don't even see them on your level anymore? And I think here's the thing that's so important for us to see in that when you judge others, you're not just judging them, you're actually placing judgment on Jesus. Because that's what the Pharisees were doing here. They couldn't stand that Jesus was offering his approval to these tax collectors by joining them for a meal. If you want to follow Jesus, you must not sit in judgment of the people that Jesus himself loves. It's the same as sitting in judgment over Jesus himself. Uh, it's interesting that the surrounding narratives of this story in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus actually heals two demon-possessed men and a paralytic. And these people genuinely recognize their need for God in the moment. See, broken people often recognize their need for God's help more than religious people do. And that's exactly what we see happening with the tax collectors in this story. They realize their need for Jesus. They want fellowship and friendship with Jesus. But the Pharisees, they don't recognize that they're so desperately in need of Jesus that sitting next to them at the table should matter more than having to sit next to somebody else that they don't agree with. Uh, one of the great sins that I think many of us Christians that we struggle with is not only to be uh, at the tables. We, we don't want to be at the table with people who aren't like us. Uh, Jesus, time and time again, throws this thinking out the window. But not only that, he actually shows us that oftentimes it's, it's the religious people who are the worst off because sometimes we don't even recognize that we still have this incredible need for the presence of Jesus in our lives. Jesus will only reach those who acknowledge their sinfulness. The tax collectors acknowledge their sinfulness. The Pharisees, they refuse to recognize anything but the sinfulness of the people around them. They looked for others' sins so intently that they actually thought they saw sin in Jesus. Think about that. If you're looking for sin in other people, you will find sin that isn't even there. I actually, I got a friend on Facebook who just kind of the other day, he was sort of denouncing these, some preachers by name. And according to him, like they, they don't preach scripture. They're awful. Now maybe it's possible that they don't preach scripture always in the most desirable manner or whatever it is, but it seems to me like a pious attitude to throw out there for all the world to read. Are they actually not preaching the gospel? Or do they just not preach it in the way that this guy on Facebook wants them to preach it? Can you not come to the table and offer friendship and fellowship and see yourself with a little bit of humility that maybe you don't in fact know everything like you think you do? 
I know for certain that one of these preachers that, was, that this guy was talking about, one of his books has been instrumental in thousands and thousands of people coming to know Jesus. Now, I sure don't want to be a person that's finding sin and fault in others who, who maybe have actually done more for the kingdom of God than I could ever dream to do. I'd rather keep the table open. I'd rather sit at the table with people that I don't fully see eye to eye with on everything. And why would I want to do that? Because Jesus is the one who prepares the table and he welcomes everybody. If we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to follow him in fellowship, friendship, and humility. Uh, but there's actually one last thing I think this, this story shows us too about following Jesus. To follow Jesus, you'll need to care for sinners. Verses 12 and 13, it said, On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And you may not really catch it here, but Jesus is actually putting a smackdown on these Pharisees in these two verses. Um, like, them are some fighting words he's got going on here. My wife, man, she always gets on me for trash-talking my kids and trash-talking kids in youth group and just about any other human I come across. Now, it's true. I maybe do that too much, and I might have a few of my kids who are taking after me and developing an ability to put the verbal smackdown on people. Uh, but even Jesus did it to the Pharisees here. You know, so I'm thinking, like, how bad can it really be? Now, true, earlier this week, I got the stink eye from my wife at one point because my little Finley, she came back from her doctor's appointment and she hadn't, she hadn't grown much over the course of like a year and a half, the doctor told us. And um, so I had some short jokes coming out all over the place for her. Crystal didn't find it as funny as I did. But really, I'm, like, I'm just trying to prepare my kids. I've accepted it. They're going to be short. I'm figure, I'm, like, I'm just trying to prepare them by throwing the jokes their way before other people do. Uh, now, anyhow, Jesus was, he was taking it to the Pharisees here. I probably take it to people in ways I shouldn't, but Jesus, Jesus was doing it like hardcore with the Pharisees. He says to them, go and learn. And then he actually quotes Hosea from the Old Testament. And he's, he's actually insulting these Pharisees as though they may like they, like they never read Hosea. Now that's a seriously embarrassing thing for Pharisees to be told. It's like a politician making a mistake when they're talking about foreign policy and people being like, hey, do you actually even know anything about this situation that you're talking about? Uh, it, it's humiliating. Adding to the humiliation, this person that Jesus was referencing, Hosea, had also addressed the people who were satisfied with their rituals, but nevertheless, they were displeasing to God. Jesus is shaming these Pharisees in the face of their challenge to him, alluding to the fact that they're actually ignorant of what the scriptures are actually even teaching. They were doing all these things for God out of ritual, but they didn't really know God. They had sacrifice figured out, but they were missing the bigger picture. And here's what the bigger picture was. The bigger picture was mercy. I want you to hear this. Mercy is the lifeblood of the Christian faith. Mercy was literally given through Jesus' blood. Now it should be the very thing that runs through our veins. Mercy brings healing to the sick. Mercy is better than any medicine that a doctor can prescribe. Mercy gives hope. The Pharisees, though, they lacked mercy. They bristled at Jesus. Uh, you know, he claimed to have bigger powers than them, and, and he ignored their traditions, and this angered them to their core. They didn't think that 
actively pursuing after sinners was part of their job. It seemed unheard of to them. It was, it was a mercy that they didn't, it didn't even compute in their brains. But Jesus simply bucked everything that they knew about what was normal. And unlike Matthew, they just they couldn't cancel their lives. They couldn't cancel what they'd always believed to be right. Even when Jesus plainly showed them that they had flawed thinking. If you really want to follow Jesus, I don't think you can escape the need to have mercy on other people. Mercy is essential to caring for people. Even when you think that someone isn't deserving of mercy, it doesn't negate your responsibility to actually show mercy. You didn't deserve God's mercy, but you received it. Matthew didn't deserve mercy, and Jesus showed it to him. And Jesus hoped that the Pharisees might actually come to the table and show some mercy themselves. Be careful that you don't ever get to that place that you accept God's mercy and still find yourself believing that somebody else isn't worthy of, his, of your own mercy. I think there's a little bit of Pharisee in every single one of us. Pharisees, they didn't follow Jesus. We've got to let the Pharisee in our hearts give way to mercy. You know, we've been talking about all these things that we can do to follow Jesus a little bit better. It comes directly out of this story of Jesus calling Matthew. He asked Matthew to cancel his life. And Matthew put everything on hold. In fact, not even on hold. He, he left everything altogether just to follow Jesus. The followers of Jesus in this story, they joined him in fellowship around the table. Didn't matter who else was there. They just wanted a place at the table with Jesus. And Jesus taught us that following him means caring for the sick. If you want to follow Jesus, uh, this story, it, it is going to show us how. But I think the best part of this story is right here. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. See, the best leaders, they don't ever ask you to do anything that they're not also willing to do. I, I loved watching, uh, there was this documentary this summer about uh, Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls called The Last Dance. And there's one part in this documentary that just sticks out in my mind the most. Uh, Jordan, he's, he's talking and he's actually getting kind of teary-eyed as he's talking about the reputation that he had for Maybe not always being the nicest guy all the time, but he said his teammates knew that he never asked anything of them that he wasn't willing to do himself. And here's part of that quote uh, that he says in this documentary. Jordan says, leadership has a price. So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenged people when they didn't want to be challenged. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus was and is a better leader than Michael Jordan, okay? I love Michael Jordan, but I love Jesus a little bit more. Jesus didn't have to ever be a jerk in order to challenge people. But following Jesus is exactly that. It's a challenge. He pulls us where we don't want to be pulled. He challenges us where we don't want to be challenged. But he never does so in a way that he isn't willing to go himself. Now think about it. Jesus asks us to cancel our lives, to put aside our desires for the sake of his will. But he did that very thing as God. Jesus stepped into the world as a human. He gave up pure divinity for a piece of humanity. He then gave up that humanity for the experience of death, and frankly, death of the most horrible and gruesome kind that we could imagine. Jesus literally came to the table in fellowship with anyone and everyone that, he was, that was willing. It didn't matter to him. It, to him, everybody was a friend. The only way that you wouldn't have friendship with Jesus is if you were the one who chose not to receive his offer of friendship. Jesus also asks you to care for the sick and the hurting. Once again, he gave up everything 
He gave up his life for the ones who weren't fine on their own. He gave it up for those who were the lowest of the low. There is nothing easy about being a doctor to the most troubled around us. But Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that he's not willing to do. He laid his life down for us because he is our friend. Jesus says, uh, John says about Jesus in, in John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, Jesus did that. Jesus is our greatest friend. Jesus is friends to the very people that you and I look at and think that there can't be any hope. Jesus always sees hope. He always sees hope in you. And that's why he'll, he'll never stop going out of his way to be a friend to you. Question this morning is, how are you responding to the friendship challenge that Jesus lays out for us? Can I be honest? You know, for, for me, coming to the table and caring for any type of person, choosing to befriend anybody, that one's just, it's not super, it's not the super hard thing for me, really. Maybe it's not what your struggle is either, but canceling my life, <laughs> laying down my plans and my rights and my priorities in a moment in order to be a friend to somebody as Jesus has been to me, that one is tougher. Like, that's just tough for me. Jesus is a strong leader, and he is, he's not a passive leader. His leadership should feel like a challenge at times. His leadership should be getting you out of your comfort zone. Have you let yourself be pushed as a friend lately? Have you canceled your own desires to serve the needs of somebody else around you? Have you stepped out of your friend comfort zone to build a bridge with somebody uh, who's not necessarily your people? Does your heart burn for the spiritually sick? Or could you care less if you're honest about it? The call to follow Jesus isn't meant to be super easy. Maybe you've been too okay with coasting along and you haven't learned how to be a real friend like Jesus has been to you. Today, are you willing to let Jesus challenge you? Are you willing to see the people around you as so important that, that they'd actually be worth dying for or at least worth dying to yourself for? Why don't you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much that we can claim and know for a fact that Jesus is our friend. God, I ask that you'd forgive me. I ask that you forgive all of us for the ways that we are not a friend to people, for the ways that we choose not to follow you by canceling our lives, by, by welcoming people to the table with us. Lord, by not caring for, for the most spiritually sick in our world. Help us never to see ourselves as, as above other people. Lord, I thank you that you saw us as worthy of being loved, that you saw us as so worthy that you came to this world for our sake. God, help us to be a friend like you've been a friend to us. Teach us what that means this week. Help us to live in the challenge of what you're calling us to, to not, to not shun that challenge away, but to embrace the challenge to be more like you. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.